Welcome back. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to the Primordial Dow Present Dow podcast. This is part two of episode nine, the pros and cons of cannabis and Qigong. Let's jump in and see what happens. So Mike, holy moly, cannabis, basically the wonder plant, eh? I think it's a profound ally, uh, if not a, I know some, some people would describe it as our grandmother. You know, it's been with us all, all of our living, thinking, talking, singing, you know, cave painting history. And um, I guess I, I hold certain things in the world in that context, you know, that it's not just some back alley weird thing that we're all sketchy and nervous about and we do to piss off our parents. It's like, oh, this is like an ancestor, an ally and a teacher and a obviously, you know, a profoundly beneficial medicine. So, Big time. I'm just taking a second to appreciate that. And, and for our viewers too, because, you know, we were introduced to this as, you know, 15 years old from some sketchy dealer and, and, and we, we, were, we never got the information of knowing. So I, I'm really pumped with that first half and I'm really excited to get into the second half. So cannabis and Qigong and actually integrating this into our practice so how do we do, how do we do this, Mike? Well, I'll share a personal experience. So, you know, like you were saying, most of us, uh, first encountered this, uh, you know, in the, probably in the smoking area of high school or <laughs> you go to meet the rough kids or whatever. Uh, and I was actually one of the kids that was helping other people find access to this stuff. Cause that's just where I grew up and kind of the socioeconomic scene that I was a part of or whatever. Uh, and I really appreciated it for about probably 14 to 17, um, for all the, you know, things that it does for people. And, um, I, I wouldn't say I ever really overdid it, but I definitely was aware that, um, I had a choice uh, a few times in, in that time, you know, before I was 17, where I, I could have very easily become one of those people I knew who would have kind of curled up into a ball of, you know, well, we didn't have the internet way back then, but, <laughs> uh, you know, they would probably have just spent, you know, so much of their time. I think maybe we had video games back then, but uh, I, I didn't really get into that. But I, I knew that my life was at a fork in the roads because I could lean into that stuff, uh, you know, using cannabis and other other street things. Uh, as they were back then, or I could not, you know, fall into the complete stoner path and, you know, find some kind of balance. And I'd been a martial artist since I was 10 and, you know, I'd learned some basic Qigong and I loved meditation. And uh, I had a sense of, you know, where cannabis and, and martial arts fit in, but it wasn't usually very favorable because you always get your ass kicked because if you're high and you're trying to fight somebody who isn't high, you're, you're not usually in a very adaptive, <laughs> you know, advantage. So I, I had that, I guess, uh, guardrail in place for, for myself. And then I ended up moving, uh, my family moved to another part of the country and, uh, ended up meeting a really high level teacher 
and um, he was very, very clear. If you were going to train with him, no, like anything. So and I trained him with him almost daily for about seven years. And uh, I think in that time, uh, I may have had 10 or 20 beers and most of them would have been with him, you know, and a few other students at a, you know, old English pub where we'd have one dark beer and sit around and talk about Kung Fu for hours or something, but still zero cannabis. So I went like for seven years with, as far as I can remember, you know, almost zero mind altering substances. And, uh, then I moved back to the West coast and I was, I started a martial arts school and a couple of my students were, you know, the proverbial, you know, go and drink and get into a bar fight kind of people. And they had come to learn more about violence and, um, I can't remember exactly when I ended up going to hang out with them or something like that at their place. And they had some, you know, had a joint and I was just like, wow, I haven't touched this stuff since I was like 17. What, 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 what would that be like? And I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm clearly good at, you know, self-control and, uh, I'm fine without it because I didn't even care that it wasn't a part of my life for that long because I had so many other things that I was really focusing on. And I'll never forget that night because I remember walking home and instead of going home, I went for this kind of long walk after smoking a, you know, probably a tiny amount of cannabis. But for me, after seven years of nothing, I was like, whoa, (laughs) something's going on here. And I went to this, uh, kind of park and I started doing, I don't know, I think I was doing some kind of Tai Chi or something. And I had this epiphany that I was somehow profoundly more aware of the rotation of the inside of my joints and bones and spine. And, and with Tai Chi, you know, that's sort of a big part of how you figure out how to be efficient and, uh, develop power and still be kind of relaxed. Right. So I was just like, okay, that, that was a profound experience. And I woke up the next day and I think I was teaching about six hours a day at that point. And, um, it was maybe about over the next year or two that I got into the habit of uh, once a month, probably about once a month where I would just have a tiny little bit because I didn't, I just had so many other things going on. It wasn't like, I can't wait to try this, but I had kind of made this commitment to discover what, um, what my practices would be like. Cause I usually taught like five or six hours a day. And then at the end of around nine o'clock, I, I you know, my last class, I would go and eat a bunch of, you know, food and I would go to this park, um, and just train my own stuff. Cause you know, that's just what my life was. Right. And about once a month I would, you know, smoke a little tiny bit and then, uh, go. And I'm not saying a little tiny bit, like I'm trying to be squeamish or pretend that, you know, I was using less than I was. It, it was, it only took a little tiny bit for me to go like, okay, I can feel that thing in my body now. And then I would go and, you know, do these practices. And sometimes I would go into a standing meditation or other kinds of, uh, meditative practices. And, uh, I kind of realized that there's a lot of unique possibilities with cannabis to refine, uh, embodied sensual interaction, uh, having a lot of space of attention on, um, movements, uh, feeling momentum, you know, really connecting your knee to your hip, to your spine, to your elbow, to your, you know, wrist or whatever, because of that associative 
connection quality of what cannabis does or what DHC does. And, uh, I, I, I mean, some of the teachers that I had at the time, um, they, they were like going, you're progressing very fast. You know, you're really getting this internal, you know, tricky stuff fairly quickly. And I'm not suggesting that that was entirely attributed to cannabis, but at the same time, at least in my own personal journey, and I'm not trying to tell anybody else what to do, uh, in that sense, um, I'm comfortable saying that it gave me a unique perspective on some really challenging uh, internal aspects of movement and coordination that I don't think I would have had the space of patience or the the deep enough relaxation in in my own self at that time in my life anyway uh, to have noticed some of those things. But I was I think I'm also aware when I think back to that time that. Um, it helped, but it also took away certain other things. The The quality of meditation, the quality of um, what you might call mind fasting was very, very challenging because cannabis doesn't really produce a lot of inner silence. It produces a lot of inter- inner cartoons. So, you know, it was, I wouldn't say making me better, but it was offering me an interesting... Uh, embodied awareness that, that I found, you know, helpful once in a while. Um, but it wasn't helping with other things. Yeah. I've, I've had similar experiences where it's like things connect that weren't connected before, or you notice that things aren't connected. Um, but I've also, I also have the other experience of minds definitely more active when you're, when you're on cannabis Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, in the sense of pros and cons, one of the pros of cannabis and uh, Qigong practice is that it it loosens up certain aspects of our embodied uh, tension, our uh, conditioned sense of insecurity, or um, maybe befriending instead of feeling um, like your body is a problem. You know, because a lot of people when we're learning new things or uh, opening our joints or changing how we feel in our bodies, we're progressing through, you know, resistance and through conditioned behaviors, postures and other things. So by being able to loosen things up and really make those associations and being able to really feel into the feeling part of the body, for a lot of people that that's quite helpful. But you can also do that without cannabis or without anything, but for a lot of people who've had a hard time feeling really comfortable in their bodies, it's a very potent transition, but also it's the risk of, you could also steal your progression because if you use it too much or too intensely or the, like the high concentrate stuff, you're not going to remember what you learned. You're going to remember going, wow, I had a really great Qigong practice in the park last night, but no idea what really happened. Right. So it's, you know, I say this a lot, less is more, you know, so sometimes it can help people, especially people who have, uh, especially like embodied trauma, uh, shame issues and things like that. Um, it gives you the ability to feel really comfortable and maybe a bit audacious or confident with your body. So if you're really careful with, you know, dosing and frequency, it, it may be helpful, but if you're not being careful, it's going to steal your 
memory of your practice, your progress. And now you're kind of, you know, it's almost like you've tied yourself to a post. You know, you can keep doing your practice, but it's going to kind of go around and around and around the same area uh, and level of, of understanding and experience. So, you know, once in a while, it's a good idea for some people who need help relaxing, help feeling confident and playful with their body. Right. And it can go, uh, go ahead, sorry. So there, there are some times where, and correct me if this, let's go for it. Um, there's sometimes where I feel like I could almost use it like a surgical tool where if there's like a certain area of my body where I'm feeling like stuck or like, like something's not moving, um, would you recommend, or would you say that it, in your experience is beneficial of kind of using that to go into your deeper into your body to find something? Cause like sometimes I have issues in my solar plexus and, and when I'm more like aware of that body, it's like, I can kind of be more precise with my state mm-hmm. in my body. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, it, well, solar plexus is a, a tricky conversation because that's where almost all of our kind of the butterflies in our stomach, our anxieties, uh, other pent up feelings can kind of get stored. So there's the emotional, energetic, you know, trauma part of the solar plexus. And then there's the bottom of your rib cage where people call it your solar plexus, but they're talking about your sternum. <laughs> yep. Right. So if I was to think about like a hip or a knee, um, you know, in the sense of I'm trying to get, I'm trying to understand something about hip track or, you know, different parts of Qigong and martial arts that uh, are basically what, you know, improved capacity are, are based on. If you're really surgical in what you're doing and you have a lot of intention and you have a plan of exercises and movements that you're going to use to explore and refine and maybe redefine certain patterns and movement, then it can help. But if you're only practicing that way, then you're not really getting the benefit because you're not feeling the benefit without cannabis. Right. So again, it's that kind of like once in a while, it might help you move through the cobwebs of something. But if you're only feeling like you're getting the benefit with cannabis, then you may have tied yourself to a post. You know, in the sense that, you know, these things generally progress over the decades in the sense of, you know, I like the Jedi metaphor of going from like Luke Skywalker to Obi-Wan to Yoda. You know, these things are progressive practices. Um, So they can help us in some ways, but they can hinder us if we're not really conscious of the balance. Yeah, definitely. So you were you were chatting about somebody that maybe uh, is new to to like a qigong practice, and maybe there's a lack of qi sensation or awareness. And would cannabis help someone like that? Because I think you were saying something about how um, it may be one of the only times when somebody feels safe to go into their body if they're if they're really dissociated or. It can. I mean, uh, uh, when I think of that, I think more of like the higher CBD um, benefits of cannabis because CBD is like a total uh, head-to-toe muscle relaxant. It also facilitates uh, a change in how neurotransmitter receptors work. And I'm not going to go into the nerdy science stuff, but I think we can all appreciate from the person you described how they would feel if they suddenly had taken a muscle relaxant and something that 
facilitates a lot better neurotransmitter mood, you know, state, uh, resiliency and elasticity and, uh, stability and stuff like that. So I would just say like, you know, CBD being not psychoactive would be beneficial for almost anything we could talk about because you're just fundamentally a little bit more, uh, you're just a little softer, a little more wiggly, a little bit more water-like and your mood or your, you know, your sense of how playful or, or how focused or how anything you want to be is just easier to access. So I, I would, you know, always recommend that, uh, as the baseline. And then there's the distinction between edibles and smoking. You know, smoking comes on within a couple of minutes and lasts for maybe 90 minutes. And then people want to smoke more or they want to go to bed or they're going to, you know, go and do something else where if you have the right kind of edible and especially if it's a good balance of CBD and THC and, um, you know, it's, it's the right kind, it takes a couple hours to really get, you know, to the point where you, you know, you're, that's what it's, you know, as much it's going to change your state or, you know, you could say that's as high as you're going to get, I guess. Um, then you have about four or five hours where you consistently have that kind of state shift, that kind of body awareness, that kind of confidence and fluidity and playfulness. Um, so I, I would just that make that distinction because smoking is, you know, I don't know. I have said this out loud, but, um, I don't, I only say it in a certain context. Um, smoking is in some senses a waste of cannabis because if you could turn it all into really specific edibles that were mixed in with other things that optimized the benefit to your well-being in every way possible, that would be the best way to use anything. But then you have to wait a couple hours. So what a lot of people often do is if they're going to take an edible, they take the edible and then they smoke a little bit and then they get that 90 minute, you know, shift from the, the smoke. And then when the edible kicks in, they're good for five or six hours without it. The tricky part with modern cannabis is especially is that it's so uh, high test. It's so concentrated that it's very unpredictable whether or not you're actually going to remember what you wanted to do before you smoked. You know, oh, I'm going to smoke and I'm going to go to the park and I'm going to do, you know, three versions of this uh, form and then I'm going to practice this and then I'm going to meditate. And by the time you get to the park, you might just get into an argument with a chipmunk or something, Right. So that's where the, the distinction is between getting high, you know, getting really messed up, you know, to blow yourself out of whatever you don't want to feel. Uh, that's, that's more addictive behavior, compensatory behavior. Whereas if you're using something medicinally to uh, optimize how you feel into your body and um, that you're not just pinging off the ping balls of being stupidly high, um, and that's my word for myself if I ever do that, cause I get nothing done and, you know, or I take a bunch of notes and the next day I look at my notes and I'm like, I have no idea what the hell I was thinking about, but it, I felt like a genius when I was writing it down. <laughs> right. So I'm just sort of playing that I out. I think we like, all have those moments. Yeah. So any, anytime I think of like, how could this help someone? That's why I want to step back and go, well, let's, let's ask ourselves how and why we're using this. Because that's going to determine, you know, the benefit. So again, for me, when I talk to people about, you know, cannabis and Qigong, if you need help with 
being still and being in sensation and making a lot of subtle connections and still being in your body in the moment, then you're going to develop more awareness. If you're using it in a way that just throws you off into all kinds of, you know, fidgets and fits and made up, you know, beliefs and, you know, you know, I can see the chi of trees now and, you know, all this other stuff. And then the next day you can't remember what happened or why it felt like you were a genius. Then you're actually just wasting your time, like literally getting no benefit from, from your practice because you can't remember what happened or why that made sense or what you really felt. So when I, when I'm speaking about cannabis and Qigong, it's like, let's be not serious, but let's be Jedis in the sense that are you using this to actually cultivate awareness, cultivate embodied uh, sensitivity and coordination and capacity? I mean, that's what Kong means. Qigong means like your capacity, <laughs> right? Your competence, your, your facility, your skills, right? So if we're using it as just like, you know, the way people use alcohol to just blow off steam and, you know, screw it, man, I don't care. Just screw me up. I'm just done with my day. That's not skillful for anyone, right? So when I think about cannabis and Qigong, I try and, you know, remind people, are you using it therapeutically? Are you using it skillfully? Are you using it for a specific benefit? Are you using it with profound spaces between the times you practice with cannabis and the times you don't? so that you might be getting a little bit of a nudge from the highly associative states, but that's not the baseline of what your practice is about. I remember meeting one guy, and then he was quite terrifyingly powerful. Uh, he was a teacher. At, he was demonstrating at some competition that I was demonstrating at, and uh, we got to hang out and chat and uh, eventually went back to the hotel he was staying at and they were going to go and train. And when we got to his hotel room, he opened up, you know, some little suitcase thing and he had like all kinds of stuff in there and he just wanted to get completely blisteringly wrecked and then go to the park and then basically fight. And I chose not to participate in the chemical part <laughs> of that. And then when I went to the park, he was basically, you know, borderline psychotic and, you know, very powerful and very strong. And I really had to hold my ground to get through that, you know, strange encounter because he was not in any sense, um, in a capacity state. He was in a, you know, a blisteringly high, uh, you know, like a, you know, it's like finding a person on, you know, any other really highly stimulating and intense drug. And I, I don't even know what all he had done. I just remember going, that's a really good example of where this could go bad. And he, he, he was a teacher. He had a school and, you know, he was well known because he was very fast and powerful and, uh, very, very willing to risk, you know, his own safety to prove things. But he was also, you know, given my perspective now a bit mentally ill and, you know, clearly addicted and, and in no way grounded in what he was doing. So I guess like with the whole, it kind of is like everything in Taoism where less is really more. And with our modern day cannabis, I think dosage is really something that we would need to kind of dial in for ourselves. And I think that's where those edibles would come in handy because, you know, you actually get like this many milligrams because 
when you're when you're smoking, it's like dolphins. <laughs> Who knows? Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. Like just like your brain's just like all over the place. Well, it happens from time to time to me. Yeah, I'm just trying to make the association with dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> I just see them like. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's actually an interesting uh, image. So I'm going to say something that's uh, call it like a quote. Calming your spirit is a very gradual trust game of falling into a safe place of connection and trust. So in meditation, in Qigong, when we're trying to calm down and sort of self-soothe and regulate our state of being, dolphins are floaty, you know, thought bubbles that are just making thought bubble babies in your head are kind of the opposite of what we say an shun or calming the spirit. And that's, for, especially for modern people, especially for people who are scrolling their phones all day, you know, honestly, a cell phone and cannabis are one of the worst combinations you could ever throw in the hands of a human being. Uh, just because we get looping into the looping of the, you know, as Ravi has given us the metaphor of dolphins, <laughs> you know, we're always just leaping out of the ocean going, woohoo. So it isn't about calming ourselves or our consciousness. It's about stimulation and... Uh, I don't want to just see dolphins. I want to see dinosaurs and aliens and novel things and, you know, blow my mind, man. Right? So the opposite of blowing your mind is calming, coming into the body. And modern cannabis, is, especially if you're smoking, is often way too high test or too pushy. So if we want to calm the spirit bit by bit, because it's a gradual game, a gradual trust game. You know that game where you, you know kids play and you stand there and you put your arms out and then you fall backwards and hopefully your friend is going to catch you, but 50-50 they're not because they want to laugh at you for being a dumbass for trusting them. Learning yep. to relax for a lot of people, and maybe I should preface this a bit. Uh, maybe I should have said this at the beginning of the episode. Um, hi, my name's Michael and I'm a clinician <laughs> and I've spent almost 30 years focused on treating people with chronic illness, chronic pain, autoimmune conditions that are life-altering in a very negative way, working a lot with people who suffer from, you know, post-traumatic stress uh, and have addictive issues, not all at once, depending on the person, but that's been the problem I've been trying to solve and help people with for almost 30 years. So when I think about those people who don't trust the world, they don't trust people often, they don't trust their bodies, depending on, you know, which specific group of people I'm speaking to, uh, speaking about, calming the spirit is a very gradual trust game of falling into a safe place. Because you don't know the safe place. You have to kind of do the trust game where you fall backwards a little bit and see if you're okay being relaxed. Because most people who are traumatized and in chronic pain are hypervigilant. Like, it's a survival mechanism. What's the next thing that's going to make me feel bad? What's the next thing that's going to hurt? So we really want to help ourselves or help other people relax. We want to do it in increments, in gradual sort of stages of willingness. And that happens when we learn to unravel conscious and unconscious tension, to go deeper into feelings of nervousness and, you know, just in the body, never mind the stories in the mind. 
So anything that's hyper-stimulating that makes you more hyper-vigilant and certain strains in cannabis will make you focus on your problems so much you get paranoid. Whereas other kinds of cannabis make you feel more like you want to get a massage. So, you know, you really have to find what kind of cannabis helps you feel focused, but kind of relaxed and kind of willing to trust and actually comfortable enough in your body to explore the possibility that you can feel safe. And then maybe feel some connection. Right. And some uses of cannabis really help people with that. But again, that's the edibles, the CBD, the minor small doses, making sure you're taking big enough breaks between using, you know, cannabis or other things and not using it so that you're actually cultivating a skill that is in your life, not just on Friday nights when you're, you know, seeing, you know, what the dolphins are going to (laughs) do. Right. So, you know, I, I guess it's like a maturity thing and I'm not being an ageist in the sense of shaming anyone for being at any age, but if you're an adolescent person, your job is to push boundaries and find out what dolphins are for. If you're an adult and maybe you're responsible for a family or maybe you're an adult with a, you know, a a health problem that may be defining your life, you need an ally that's going to help you come home to yourself in your body and make you better at what you're doing, not give you uh, a dolphin aquarium to get away with getting by what you're supposed to be doing and hoping you don't get caught being high most of the time. Because we have to be mature, and especially in the context of Qigong and what I call my Jedi metaphor of it might take 20, 30 years to find out what masters are really doing. Um, you're, you're actually you know, on a journey, you need a compass, you need mentors and you might want to journal and you might want to remember what you wrote down the day before and actually remember what you meant and that it's actually a value and it's going to keep you in your progress and that your practice is cultivating something, you know, in whatever, you know, depending on what you're practicing, right? So we have to be a bit strategic. We have to be a bit, uh, mature in our, uh, you know, days on or days off and, and things like that. Because, you know, the, the benefits are there, but the benefits can steal your practice from you. You know, I, I actually know, I mean, I'm being really careful with context and names and uh, people who know me and know the people I know. So um, I, I've met people who have had long careers of being teachers who are essentially stoners who have gotten away with being good enough to, you know, teach forms and do basic demonstrations of, uh, if it's a martial arts thing or, you know, something else, but they're, they're not, they're not progressing. They're, they're not, um, deeply aware of a lot of subtle, potent aspects of the practice. They're just having a good time flowing and flopping around and, you know, doing that stuff. And that's great. I mean, they've lived amazing lives. They have great families. They're, you know, all of that. But when I think of, you know, their teachers and what their teachers have gone through and what many lineages have, you know, the kind of effort and time, which is what Kung Fu means, uh, into their practice, you know, it's like they got to year 10 and have done year 11 over and over again for 30 years. So they're still on year 11, but, um, they're, they're not getting anywhere and that's cool. You know what? It's not like we're all supposed to become Yoda 
But if our practice is meant to take us somewhere in just a Qigong sense, we have to find that balance. It's really hitting home. <laughs> Sorry, Mike, you're blowing my mind here. So with intention, like, yes, there's uh, on some level where we're using something therapeutically, and then maybe we're using uh, cannabis for, you know, going into our embodied practice. Is there any other layering of intention on top of cannabis that could make it more effective? Yes and no. And the reason I say that is the concept or the experience of intention in Qigong and meditation from a traditional point of view, it's a very precise experience, right? So when we say intention um, in English, sometimes what we really mean is outcome. Okay. Right. So my intention is to get really good at something. And when I'm really good at something, my attention worked or my intention worked. Right. Um, so that's more about outcome the, the we say yin-yang in Chinese and it has to do with a feeling, uh, about what your attention is doing and where your focus is and where your practice is and where you might be leaning a little bit right? Because leaning gets you momentum, it gets you moving in a direction, but if you're not mindful with leaning, it can kind of make you fall on your face, right? So it's a very precise sure. thing about, okay, I'm, you know, if I'm doing Qigong and I want to do a certain thing with breath work or something uh, with a specific meridian or a specific practice, in that context, yin yang or that quality of attention is to do the same practice with a specific focus, and to maintain that focus and kind of like, I often think of, I, I carve a lot, so I often think of things in carving, you know, I just want to take the edges off of here and get this splinter out of the way, or, you know, if I'm carving uh, soapstone or bones or something like that, I want to get an imperfection out of my way or something. So if, if I'm wanting to refine something and I have a, an objective and a, an understanding of what refinement might look like, you know, I'm not, may not sure of what the next yes is, but I'm sure what no looks like. Like I know if I keep doing this one thing with my knee, it's going to keep hurting. I have to find this other placement rotation, you know, alignment with my knee. So I have to get really focused for maybe, you know, hours, you know, let's say an hour a day for three months or something. I'm just going to focus on that one component of my embodied experience while I'm practicing multiple different you know, things of Qigong or martial arts or, you know, Tai Chi or whatever, or even just standing. So uh, my intention is to learn more about, you know, A or B with my knee. I know B doesn't feel right and I'm going to find out what A does, but I have no idea what the outcome is going to be. So that's Inyan, right? In the, in the embodied senses, I'm just going to lean, turn, explore, expand, you know, adventure, in a certain direction to find out what the outcome might be, or not even the outcome, what the what the ne next fork in the road might turn out to look like, because then I'll have another A and B, because that's what practice is always like. Like, that's great, but what if this or that? And I can only stay in this moment towards B, because I can't remember if I said A or B was the, <laughs> the thing I'm trying to avoid, but anyway. So I, I, I guess I'm more than that, I'm trying to share that context with people. If you have an intention in the traditional context, 
you don't focus on outcome. You focus on the immediate moment and one distinction. And to stay with that and feel into it. And then if I'm focusing on my knee, what I really often mean is I have to relax something in my pelvis or open my claw, as we say. And to do that, I probably have to adjust my center of gravity. And to do that, I might have to change something in the way I'm breathing. And to do that, I might have to change the position of my head. So it was really about my head all the time, not my knee and blah, blah, blah. You know, embodiment isn't always obvious, right? So that's intention, not outcome. Problem with cannabis is in either, from a meditation point of view, especially from either definition of, of uh, intention, being outcome, or I'm going to just say inyan, you can't hold that stuff still because dolphins. Because <laughs> the mind is going to have thought bubbles and you're going to get sudden you know, epiphanies that... Who needs knees anyways? I'm going to get anti-gravity boots and I'll never have to stand on the earth again because it's, I win, right? So the mind just goes, you know, off on its, you know, elastic journeys of whatever. And that whole practice session, you know, wasn't maybe a waste of your life, but it was a bit of, bit, bit of a misadventure with actual, you know, healing, actual progress, actual refinement, in, you know, in that sense. So... That that's where again maturity comes up. It's like, well, if you know you like cannabis and it's a part of your downregulation, you know, practice or philosophy, and it's working, you know, in the way that you feel it is in your life. Cool. If you're using that as a part of your qigong practice, there's you know pros and cons, and you have to be really, really mindful about what you're doing and why. And are you doing it for best outcome? Are you you know accessing CBD and the lower um, ratios or, or concentrations of THC? Are you focusing more on edibles than, than smoking? Uh, are you actually using this as a part of your cultivation? And again, I'm speaking because of the decades of working with people with trauma and addiction and complex illness and chronic pain and their bodies aren't their friends. So they, they need that help to, again, calming your shun is a very gradual trust game of falling into safe places of connection. So, you know, if you're blowing your mind all of the time, you're not doing that. You're not building confidence in uh, calming yourself and trusting yourself and feeling yourself. You're building confidence in dolphins, in blowing off steam. You can, if you're mature and strategic about it, and you need some help making friends with your body, you can use cannabis. To, to help you maybe in the short term first couple of years to help you feel into the practice to, to develop more awareness more confidence more playfulness but more than that it might just steal the depth of where your practice can go and with meditation it's more like 80 20 you know 80 percent likely it's not going to help you because it's going to stimulate the looping default mode network and keep you focused on solving problems that may be from your past and you just made up in your head. Um, or you just realized you spent four hours talking to Homer Simpson in your head because you thought it was funny and you didn't practice anything. So that that's the tricky part is, you know, the big pro and con of cannabis is what are you cultivating? Why are you practicing? What are your needs? And state shift is, as we started the conversation, a fundamental need. But you can do that without chemicals. 
And for some people at first they can't, they, they might need some help with state shift and really shifting the, the way that they're familiar with their, their experience of their body, their anxiety and, you know, other things. So it, it's almost like, a, I don't know, I just had this image in my mind. If Qigong was a hotel and every time you came to the hotel, you got to stay at a floor, one floor higher at a certain, for a period of time, cannabis could be the concierge to the hotel. Oh, Ravi, you're back to the hotel. Come on in. Let's take you to your elevator. And, you know, this week you're going to be on the fourth floor because, you know, you've been really focused a lot of the, the time on, you know, what you're doing without cannabis. But for now, we're going to, you know, take you up there and uh, see how it goes, you know. But but at a certain point, you're, uh, you realize you don't want to live in a hotel. You want to build a home, be at home in your body, or you don't need someone to take you to, you know, some on on some elevator to the sky um to get away from the ground because that's that's the tricky part with anything you know because cannabis can be very addictive not chemically in the way that some substances are but can it can become very sensually addictive and addiction is by definition a compensation for pain i, I cannot stand the way i feel unless i'm drinking or smoking or you know doing whatever it is that i'm addicted to so I think if I was to, I'm kind of wrap, wrapping up the ideas here. Uh, if you feel you're using a cannabis compensatory and you're trying to move towards Qigong, find a balance and make sure more often than not, you know, if not vastly more often than not, you're not using cannabis. And it might once in a while help you, you know, find a creative uh, moment or a deeper association or connection you know, in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to, you know, interfere with things. And for most people, you know, cannabis and meditation are not really going to go anywhere. And I say most people, because there are, you know, a certain percentage of people who with the right kind of cannabis, the right kind of state shift can go into some profoundly meditative states, but that's meditation. And I don't think we have time to get into Nagong, but Nagong is meditation with some very precise, I don't know. It's like, imagine you're juggling a ball with one hand and balancing a broom with the other hand. You know, if you, you know, you ever you held a broom in your palm and try and keep it from falling over. So imagine one yeah. hand is holding a broom up and the other hand is trying to juggle a ball while you're breathing and sitting still more or less and doing a whole bunch of really precise things with conscious awareness. So that really doesn't, um, yeah, THC doesn't help Nikong at all, whereas CBD might. I passed the beginning, like for the first couple of years. And I guess that's what I, maybe I'm really trying to, if I was, as I'm trying to wrap up the idea, it can be a, a supportive ally for a couple of years. But after that, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're losing part of the investment you're putting into your practice. If you're cultivating something specific for the long term, if Qigong is just your chill thing you do once in a while and you're not training, you know, for some long-term outcome, then you know, whatever works for you works. But I, I've had the perhaps benefit or perhaps curse of training with people who have a lifelong plan of a specific change in consciousness and embodiment and refinement and release and things like that that have interesting name like, I don't know, awakening or enlightenment or immortality or, uh, you know, samadhi or, you know, other things. And that that's a, like a 30-year 
commitment and cannabis usually is only going to be helpful at the beginning if it's helpful, you know, but after that it might not be. Before we finish this up, I just want to share one thing. And uh, it's an experience that I had with cannabis and, you know, we'll kind of unpack it right here and uh, kind of see where it goes. But uh, What's that? So that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, um, let's, let's do it. Um, So over the last, obviously two years, it's been pretty intense for most people with COVID lockdowns and all this. And, you know, prior to that, I spent five years of really abstaining. And, uh, you know, life got a little bit difficult and I ended up reaching to cannabis, old friend, to kind of relieve some of that pain. Now, there was a specific event where, you know, I used some cannabis and I, I came home and uh, I was actually massaging the foot of my ex now. And uh, there was like, profound shift in my mind and it was like it felt like a hundred thoughts were coming into my mind at a second and uh i guess like the overarching it was a little bit of paranoia i guess looking back at it but the thought was to take quit my job take all of my money move it into ethereum which is a cryptocurrency and go to the golden temple which is in India, which I guess on some level would be like home or a safe spot. Hey, I'm actually having a realization. Um, but yeah, so it, it it kind of really threw a wrench into what my experience of life was at that moment in my life. Because um, here I am going from, you know, being probably pretty stressed out and then turning to something like cannabis and now I'm on like, I have to sell all my belongings and move to another country. What was the now, realization guess, you had? Go ahead. When, when you were just talking, you said you had a realization. What was that? Um, just of how it might be a, a quite a bit more metaphoric of like, hey, maybe like life as you've experienced it and maybe as you've like built it or created it for yourself, created it for yourself, it's not working and you need to go home. Mm. Whatever that means. Well, I think the word metaphors are really, I'm glad we somehow ended up here because um, I'm often told as a communicator that I come up with really good metaphors. I do, for sure. If I was going back to the experience that I'm sure most people who use cannabis have had where you're taking notes at, you know, 11, 11 PM or something just to throw in that, <laughs> you know, a bit of symbolism. Uh, it all makes sense in, in the swimming dolphin, dolphin leaping cascades of metaphor and context and recognition and stuff like that, that happen with a, like a pretty strong, you know, bit of cannabis but it's usually metaphorical. Like a lot of the stuff that comes up is it comes up in the, the escape of meaning, not in the escape of structure. You know, so if the mind is saying sell everything and go to the golden temple, like, like you said, the context is um, maybe 
shift your focus around what's important and recognize that you have a specific need that, that wants to be satiated in a way. Like I, maybe I should calm down and meditate or, <laughs> you know, what, what, what is a golden temple really imply kind of a thing. Well, I would, from the perspective of me being here now, um, what happened with my life is that after, you know, that moment, uh, I ended up leaving my job, uh, relationship fell apart, I ended up moving back home. And, uh, but what I describe it as is like, it's kind of like, I guess, through this context would be being at home in my body. That's the golden temple is this thing. Mm -hmm. If I can inhabit me, well, then I'm in, I'm in that place. Yeah. And I think that that's the, one of the magic properties of, of cannabis is it allows us to, you know, again, if, if things are working well, to calm down enough to trust our experience and, and to make some associations and connections. And then that's usually where intuition and metaphor show up. Like, oh, I think I get what this means. I have a, a feeling about, you know, explaining things in the sense of feeling and meaning are pretty hard in English because English is not a very malleable language. It's very, very literal and, and very, you know, uh, relatively narrow compared compared to other languages in the world. You know, so when you're having some a substance that kind of breaks you free of a very literal and, and very sort of sequence and object-oriented language, like English, you know, that's, it's, you know, it's going to take some time to uh, like really understand and be able to put into words what that feeling and meaning actually look like in the world, you know, but again, that's one of the great benefits of cannabis is we get really profound insights, but the insights are only of meaning if we're also having enough days without cannabis that the insight actually now is a mirror or, or a compass that helps us move into and through normal day-to-day -day life more skillfully. And, and I just want to bring this up again. I, I live in a place called Nelson, BC. Uh, I think we won in 2008 or 2009 in Amsterdam for the best outdoor cannabis in the world. Like in the late 60s, early 70s, a lot of expats came up from the U.S. to escape the Vietnam War, and this became like a hippie town central. Like when I moved here 20 six or seven years ago, um, it was like the biggest hippie arts town in Canada. Not big in the sense of people, but the most popular place to go and, you know, hang out and smoke weed and hang out on the beach and go for a canoe. And, uh, cause it, we were growing the, the community that is engaged in the cannabis industry here, although illegally up until very recently, that's the only reason this city had an economy. There's no industry here. There's, you know, it's not like there's big factories or farms here. And we have, I don't know, like four outdoor specialty shops in a town with five traffic lights, <laughs> you know, so it's a cool place to live, but there's a cultural, um, for most people who live here, uh, default of cannabis is great. You know, it's just a part of the community. It's, it's just what we do. It's how we roll. And having said that, I've had a lot of experience with the pros and cons of cannabis for people as a clinician, because, you know, you can often tell 
fairly quickly when a person comes into your office for the first time, whether or not they're a like four joint a day, really heavy smoker and can't handle their lives or themselves or some really deep stuff in, in their lives. And, you know, they've gotten through their life in a way, but they've also been compensating for all of that, you know, for most of their adulthood, you know, and I'm not suddenly changing sides here, but that's the downside of being in a community where cannabis is just like coffee. You know, it's very easy for people here to take it too far um, and lose a, a lot of time and lose a lot of opportunities to actually grow and, you know, heal. So, um, you know, I'm a big fan of its benefits, but I'm also, a, you know, in my face witness of where it goes wrong. You know, life is all about balance, you know, and as we've been kind of playfully saying a couple of times, with certain things in life, less is more, you know. And sometimes you have to hit more before you start to feel better about less, you know. But, but you know, as long as the focus is on balance and uh, awareness uh, with Qigong and uh, all of the uh, internal learning and growing and changing and healing and refinement that happens with regular practice, it, it can help at cert with certain things, especially with certain people, and especially at the beginning. But, you know, at a certain point, it's uh, more of a distracting dolphin slash thief than, than a really good ally, if it's too much. Yeah, that transition is really cool, because, you know, growing up and probably until the last three years or two years, um, <laughs> my motto literally was more is better well that's what adolescence is like and adolescence from a, an, at least some cultures perspectives uh, begins to change between 28 and 32 you don't really become an adult until you've you know yeah around 30 that's when people start to really notice that certain consequences and certain behaviors and certain choices um, aren't not, or they're just not sustainable and they're just not as meaningful. And, you know, we, we do, we, at a certain point in adulthood, we have to come home to our actual self, you know, and I, I'm just to be clear. I mean, I, I know people in their fifties and sixties who, who are still in your face adolescence and will never, you know, they're the proverbial Peter Pan, like growing up for them is like the, that's the biggest, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a, f a funny way to say it, but no, you're just like the man, you know, you're, you're not cool anymore. <laughs> and it's, it doesn't mean adulthood is all about being serious or being limited. It's like, mm, what mean, what matters now mm -hmm. matters in a different way. And the consequences in the long term start to make more sense. And that changes what we choose to do and what things mean and, you know, why we, we may want to keep or stop doing certain things. So if I was to, uh, I don't know, try and do a Coles Notes version. With Qigong and meditation, cannabis has pros and cons. And if you're really focused on where the pros are pro specifically for you, specifically for what you're focused on doing and learning and where that learning is meant to take you and you're being skillful about it and you're, you know, less is more, it's going to be probably a helpful thing. But modern cannabis especially 
being so high in THC and so low in CBD, uh, unless you're using it almost medically, like you're, you're not going to develop much momentum or progress. And that, that's also true about healing, like from a deeper psychological level. Um, if all you do is blow off steam, you're never going to get any water. You know, and water is often sort of symbolic of healing. So, That's a great metaphor. Yeah. Especially when we look at the Jing and yeah. kind of some of the practices that we do with the steam. and <sighs> Well, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> you've given me a lot to think about today. Uh, well, you know, you, you now you have a choice. Go and sit and reflect on it and journal and go for a walk and meditate or go and consume whatever you do, whichever way you do, and forget what the hell you just did. <laughs> uh, and I just want to be clear because I said something at the beginning of this conversation about Shurfei, about getting dogmatic and about this not. In no way do I have that relationship with cannabis or anything you know, it, it, it has some really profound benefits in some ways for some people sometimes. And uh, let's never forget that that's of profound value to all of us. Anything of benefit can be of benefit to everyone. It doesn't mean everyone needs to take cannabis. It just means if everyone allowed everyone to be everyone, we'd all get along better and probably make more sense of the world. But having said that, you know, depending on what I'm teaching or working with, uh, with people, you know, at higher levels of practice, it's no longer helping. So much less is better than any more. <laughs> it doesn't have to be zero, but at a certain point, it's like it's not really a benefit anymore. You know, and that's about really specific, you know, like 20 years in fiddly things that you're, you know, doing internally. And as a clinician, I, I just need to say that th this medicine is profoundly undervalued and under-researched and really poorly communicated in most of the world, primarily because the people who sell chemical drugs don't want to lose money. You know, it's it's a profoundly beneficial medicine, and in a way it's our grandmother. It, it helped us develop language, and it, you know, makes great rope. <laughs> and then some... <sighs> And for autoimmune patients, and I'm being a bit of tongue-in-cheek here, it's one of the few seeds you can eat because hemp hearts already have the shell removed. So, <laughs> Well, if I haven't said this enough, there's uh, definitely some gems and uh, some takeaways, and I'll probably have to listen back at this one again. And I hope for all the listeners, too, that was very informative because, yeah, it would have been nice to have all this information, you know, a few years ago or or so but uh no time like the present yep yeah i wish there was a course for 14 year olds on this is what it is this is how it works this is your brain this is the statistics and uh your adolescence so i'm not going to tell you what to do because that's never going to work but now you now you're informed about the pros and cons for just human life and you know i could see you teaching that class <laughs> Someday that would be a fun <laughs> thing to do. Alrighty, Michael, let's uh let's wrap this up. So uh this has been the Primordial Dow Present Dow podcast. I'm your host, Ravi, and I'm here with Dr. Michael Smith. And this is episode nine, Cannabis and Qigong, the pros and cons. Thank you so much, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Yeah. I know I did. Yeah. And uh may we all grow and grow up and 
grow in every direction that we can and become whole people. Thank you for exploring and enjoying Primordial DAO, Present DAO. We look forward to sharing more in the next episode.